The road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. We're your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Howdy. Howdy. Glad you're joining us. This show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. Uh, we have that means a- they pay the bill, right? Yeah, that's true. Okay. Sponsored. Yep. And so we have a two-week. I work for Matthews Hope. Yeah. Uh, I'm a recovery coach, and I teach big book and spiritual literature, and we have an amazing team in the hospital. So we have a two-week, uh, 10 to 14-day detox program, depending on things, followed by two years of free recovery coaching and aftercare. It's built into the program, including IASIS, which is microcurrent neurofeedback. We do things. Is that the I A S I S? IASIS. It's pronounced IASIS. Okay. And it's a very low energy microcurrent neurofeedback that bathes your brain in energy and calms your central nervous system so that you recover faster. Has anyone ever turned into the Incredible Hulk when they do that? Is there not like- once. I wish that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. But not not once. Uh, people are calm and, and sleep well and feel better and usually have less depression and less anxiety. And we use it in the detox and in the aftercare. Um, and so we, we offer a lot in our program. If you're curious about our program, you can give us a call at 844-263-4673 or visit our beautiful new website, www.mhdrp.org. Herpeter. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I'm over it. Uh, and as usual, you're listening to us in the H on KPRC 950 Sundays at 1 o'clock or on the KPRC 950 app on the iHeart Radio app. Wow, that's a lot to say. It's a lot. Yeah, so you can listen to it at 1 o'clock Central uh, On live, the radio or the app. On the radio or the app. Or they upload our show each Sunday around 5 o'clock to, as a podcast under mm-hmm. Relevant Recovery Radio. Yep, so you can look up the channel Relevant Recovery Radio on iHeart. Or you can follow us on fe- uh, Facebook or Instagram at Relevant Recovery Radio. We upload the episodes there too and we kind of get to post fun pictures of some of our guests if you're curious what they mm-hmm. look like because you can only hear them on the radio. And-, and if you're ever wanting to, like Heather runs those. So if you ever have a question, you ever want to know anything about recovery, from drugs and alcohol, from other things, you are welcome to shoot us a message. Yeah, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear feedback. I'd love to hear your ideas for a podcast. What are you curious about in recovery that you'd like us to do a topic on? And so you can reach out to me. That way my email is listed on the Facebook page. Cool. So what are we going to pontificate about today? It's just me and you today. Yeah. We've had some guests and it's been great, Um, but you and I have a good groove uh, I was thinking, based on the last few weeks, we would just fight on the air. What do you think? Um, what do you, define just, fight. Just have an argument. Because I stab. I know. <laughs> That's what frightens me most of the time. Get my switchblade. Uh, no, so this topic today, I'm excited to do this one. It's called Gifts of Recovery, because I really want an opportunity to use this platform to talk about what recovery has done for us, through us, in us, like... This is such a broad topic, and we're going to fill up the whole hour from the, with this with a lot of different angles, but I just want people to know what God's done for me. I just want people to know what the 12-step world has given me. 
Because a lot of times we, we hit on it, right? We'll have guests come in and they talk about sort of what it was like in their addiction and what caused them to start making the changes. And they get a little bit into what, what it's What's like, like today, now. But it's we hard to describe, though. It's hard to really, and which is what we're going to try to do today, just me and you, is to yeah. describe the true gifts and blessings that has come through our life in recovery. Mm. And so the first one that I want to really talk about is... <laughs> the removal of the insanity. So in the 12-step world, what we all know when we study our literature is that the crux of the problem is that I am insane when it comes to drugs and alcohol, meaning at certain times, insanity wins and I put a drink or a drug back in my body. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how long period of time it is in between there or whatever. We call it the mental obsession and the fellowship. The literature calls it like a mental blank spot or insanity or a mental twist. Um, it's really the lack of logic winning <laughs> and you still put a drink or a drug and you try the game again. And so that's the the crux of chronic addiction issues. And so that's why people relapse all the time. Family members that are not drug addicts or alcoholics, you're going to be so confused not understanding why your loved one keeps returning to a drink or the drug. They promised you they would quit. They've got a DWI or legal issues or they're, you're threatening to divorce them or why are they returning to it? It's because of this crux, this mental obsession, this insanity symptom. They really don't have a choice in drink or drug. They've they lost don't. the power of choice. At some point, they're probably, if you hook them up to a lie detector and they say, I want to quit, they will pass because they mean it. They mean it. They yeah. When they promised you and they said they wanted to be done, when they tried to go to treatment and all, you know, and it's such a baffling nature. If you are normal, quote normal, and you have not lost the power of choice, you will absolutely never comprehend fully what we're talking about. It's it's mm -hmm. foreign to you if you're mm -hmm. a normal listener. But someone who has this illness that keeps getting loaded despite their desire to be sober, it, it baffles them. They don't understand. But I think most people can recognize the lack of choice because they may not struggle with drugs or alcohol, but maybe they struggle with food. Or shopping. Porn addiction. Mm -hmm. Gambling. Relationships. Right. The list goes on and on. Being a workaholic, being a money miser, stacking cash and making mm -hmm. your family suffer so you can put more money in the bank, things yeah. like that. And so that's really what we learn in the 12-step world as being the crux of the problem, which is why we have to work the steps is to get that problem removed. So the thing is, is that you come to um, a 12-step fellowship. Just want to be sober. You just want to be sober. And little did you know that that is the tip of the the literal tip of the iceberg. Right. Like there's so much more behind it. And that's what we want to talk about today is what are the actual, because here's the thing, I have not had a drink or a drug uh, in my body in over nine years. Yeah. And today I don't even really think about it at all. Yeah. It yeah. just is. It just is. When I was new and I'm picking up on the 12-step language and I'm learning about this insanity and this no choice, because when I when people in treatment, they'll say, hey, what's your drug of choice? Mm -hmm. I don't. I say, what's your drug of no choice? Because right. you actually have no choice. This is what you're going to keep returning to. And and people don't understand. I, I It was foreign to me. I thought people were full of crap. I really thought there is no way I work these stupid steps or whatever and that I am I'm not going to want to do heroin if I'm ever around it. And and you're telling me <laughs> that this crazy deity is going to remove it? This power that I can't see or feel is going to remove it? I don't believe you. Right? No way. <laughs> <clears throat> so hang out. We're going to be right back here in a few minutes, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the gifts of recovery. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with yeah. us, Heather and Donnie Mosher. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about the gifts of recovery. Before the break, we were talking about the removal of the mental obsession. I thought it was absolute farce. I thought there's no way that this is real. Um, I really thought I was going to have to avoid triggers or people, places, and things. And I just needed to change my surroundings. And I was never going to be able to be around heroin or opiates and not feel tempted and not want to do it. And I have an amazing experience with that. Because when people say that obsession gets removed later in the steps, it's guaranteed by step 10, I didn't believe them. And I didn't understand what a recovered alcoholic or a recovered drug addict was. Today, I am so grateful and and excited to introduce myself to someone when it's helpful as a recovered alcoholic or a recovered heroin addict. There's no stigma attached to it for me. I'm not embarrassed of it. It's the greatest purpose that my life has given me is that someone has shown me a way out and I get to show other people the way out to have a different way of life, not just to not shoot dope anymore. But to be completely different from the inside out. And so, so as recovered. It just means the mental obsession's gone. I'm still a chronic drug addict. I'm so still a chronic alcoholic. What if we're at a concert? <laughs> right. Right. And there's people smoking weed everywhere. Maybe you see somebody with a needle. Like, is that going to make you Jones? Nope. It, no. all, it all depends on your spiritual condition. Those who are recovered are neutral and it will not. you will not feel tempted. And those who have no spiritual connectivity will feel tempted and will most likely relapse if they're chronic. And if you feel in the middle where it's kind of you know messing with you and you're, you're thinking about it more than a fleeting thought, those are red flags that something is off spiritually. Well, and I think it goes back to the thing I didn't believe at the beginning when I came in, that there is this invisible power, power this God, this deity... Um, that could actually remove the problem because I had tried to quit drinking for 10 years. So here's what happened. I was a few months sober, like maybe two months, maybe two, maybe a couple months sober. And I was through all 12 steps, brand new through 12 steps. I was fixing to start sponsoring at that time. And we got what's called a 12-step call. Someone's in trouble. They need your help. You got to go get them. They're usually drunk or high, but the goal is to take them to treatment, take them to help, take them Mm -hmm. to sober, whatever you're arranging, the actual help. Yeah. Um, the rule is we're not there to lessen the misery of your relapse. But if you actually want real help, we're not going to enable you. We're going to take you somewhere. And so I did this 12-step call at about eight weeks sober through the steps with another girl. And the guy it was a guy that we got the call for. And I did everything wrong. Right, because uh, typically if men it's a guy that men, needs... Right. Women should go help yeah, women. For and, obvious reasons. And, uh, and so we did everything wrong. It was me and two, this other girl, and she hadn't worked any steps. She wasn't doing the program at all. And so we So she's still Joneses. We drove hours away. And anyways, long story short, we get the guy and he does a shot of heroin in the back seat and he's overdosing and, and she's like, Is he okay? And I'm like, Oh gosh, no, he's not okay. Hurry, you know, pull over, this and that. He was doing the whole death growl, his ears and lips were turning purple, and so we called this EMT friend and he's like, He's gotta be Narcan. All anyways, we have to Did dr- you have Narcan with you? We did not. We had to drive to wow. the ER, the nearest ER. We we're six minutes away. We literally did everything wrong. We did everything wrong. Um the guy got Narcan twice and he survived. But here's the point of the story for me. On our way home, we, we ended up having to talk to his mom in Michigan and they, they discharged him into my care. We took him to a, a rehab that would accept him. It was a whole ordeal all day. But on the way home back to Kerrville, the thought just boom, hit me. I didn't save any heroin for later. You didn't like, take any of what he had left. I didn't take his heroin. I didn't save it. I, I wasn't... I was in a completely neutral place where it was like I wasn't even around it. I was actually just concerned with helping this dude get help. 
it was the weirdest thing. And I looked at her and I said, oh, my God, maybe I'm recovered, <laughs> you know. And How far into sobriety were you? Eight weeks. Oh, wow. And I can tell you that that was my first aha moment because I'd worked all 12 steps at that point. That was my first aha moment that maybe this stuff does work. And I can tell you since then, I'm almost six years sober. We have been around countless people. Oh, yeah. I manage sober houses. I found pills. I found needles. I have, you know, flushed stuff. We have, we have, you and I have bought liquor mm-hmm. to get a girl drunk to get her into treatment. Yeah. That's a whole insurance thing, but that's a different topic for a different day. Yeah. People aren't going to understand that you just said that. <laughs> you have to. Um, it's an insurance thing. And so that's so weird. You and I are sober alcoholics, chronic variety, powerless, yet we can go into a liquor store. We can go to concerts. Me and Michelle, we went to uh, Primus, right? I can't tell you how many people were messed up around us at a Primus concert. Right. Been to Marilyn Manson, been to Slipknot. I'm around. I'm neutral to I was it. In a, I was in a motorcycle club when I got sober. Yeah. And um, I was in a bar probably two to three times a week. I would buy my brother's drinks. I remember when you and I started dating, you were still in it. (coughs) And uh, we'd have to go to bars every Thursday. Yeah. And it ended up being something that wasn't a lifestyle that we wanted to stay in. Yeah, it's real hard to be in a in a hang spiritual. Hang out with people that are drunk all the time. It wasn't just that, but it's hard to be in a in a spiritual program where you're seeking God and be around some of the things I was around. And I just. Uh, Sort of lost my taste but for it. But long story short is you and I are not enigmas or unique. That is the promise of the 12 steps. You work the 12 steps, the insanity's gone, and you're but not why? even tempted when you're around it because God's removed it. When you work the 12 steps, what does it do for you? You get connected to a power that removes the insanity. Literally, guys, it's like a miracle. It it's is. It's really crazy. It literally is. Uh, nine years ago when I heard this, I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And so, but the book says that if uh, a man is unthinking or stupid when he thinks that sobriety is enough, and so you said that this is the tip of the iceberg, coming into a 12-step fellowship, yeah, everybody comes in because they just want to stop getting high or drunk. I want to figure out how to have a barbecue without drinking. I want to figure yep. out how to drive without drinking. Or to I want avoid to prison, out. in my right. case. Like, I'm just right. not wanting to go to prison. Nowadays, or... anybody using needles wants to avoid death at right. this point. Everybody's dying, dropping dead around us. And so, with the fentanyl thing, yeah. So, but just being sober is not what the 12-step fellowship really gives you. And when we say being sober, we mean not putting Abstinent. a drink or drug in your body. And so... yeah. Yes, the 12-step world is an abstinence-based fellowship, and we're all mm-hmm. sober. But my God, if that was all that we are, we would hate each other. There would be no magic. Like, right. I'm so grateful that this program is about so much more than that. Again, it's uh, just not drinking is not the program, and it's the tip of the iceberg. And so the other thing that I want to talk about of the gifts of recovery is relationships that have been restored to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was separated from my children— for about seven and a half years due to my addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, Four and a half, five years I wasn't sober. And then the other was legal issues. I had to clean up and fight for custody and fight for visitation for those next three years sober. And so those things took time. But I can tell you, here's what's so cool today. We just uh, flew my son back yesterday. He came Mm -hmm. and flew in for a a 10-month visit. Both of my kids... 10 day. Is that what I said? You said 10 months. I'm sorry, 10 day visit. Yeah, that would be a long visit. Yeah. He flew in for a 10 day visit, but I have relationships with both my children. Um, I am helpful to my parents. You know, it's cool that my sister will call me for advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, my, fa- my parents are proud of me. But when you. I'm, I'm not. My family members are no different. I'm different. 
Right. They're the same people you couldn't get along with before, the but they haven't changed. The same people that drove me crazy, that I judged, that I couldn't get along with, that I would block their numbers and avoid them for years. They're the same. I see them in a different lens, and I'm able to show up and be the daughter that they deserve me to be. Mm-hmm. And I know for you, you've had similar experiences with your family, with your daughter, with your brothers, with oh, your yeah. mom. Tell yeah. your mom. I didn't uh, I didn't talk to my mom for around 11 years. You win the quiet game. I win. I mean, literally, if they gave a trophy for the quiet game, <laughs> I win. Um, my mom was a, a prescription drug addict yeah. um, most of my life, and yeah. she, she did not, um, I don't think she really died sober. And I remember when you and I were dating, you were at the end of those 11 years. And you're like, I don't talk to my mom. She's a drug addict, this and that. And what I got to watch with you is God convict you to do that amends and to make the phone call. And she just loved it. Yeah, she was we so grateful. Spent quite a bit of time together in her last, not, I didn't know it was her last two and a half years, but right. we did. And I got to be there when she passed. Right, and you got right a relationship with your brother. That you never had before. As never a had a relationship with Scott ever in my life. We just were not ever close. Not because he didn't try, because I think it was really me. Mm-hmm. And um, today it's one of my best homies. Like he and I talk two or three times a week and, and we're really close, which is weird. And so that's my point. A lot of times in the detox, I'll hear clients say, oh, my spouse is my trigger or my kids are my trigger mm-hmm. or or my boss is my trigger. And I just kind of giggle inside because... They don't get it yet. They haven't worked the steps. It's okay. But if you would be willing to work the 12 steps, what you're going to see is that you show up in your relationships differently and but, that it's not this hard uphill battle all the time anymore. But what I want to talk about too is I want you to think about when we come back from break, chronologically from the day you put the needle down, as you move through time in the 12 steps, how it progresses, how the gratitude progresses. Okay. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather yeah. and Donnie Mosher. We're talking about the gifts of recovery. Did we get money for this? No. Uh, That's the kind of gifts I need. <laughs> but what's cool is, like you were saying, removing the drink or the drug is the first tip of the iceberg that happens immediately. The right? thing when you, you can't even see happening. Like, there's no way this is ever going to happen. I don't believe you guys are actually sober. I know you're drinking on the weekend. And I was talking about my restored relationships. Those really came over, cumulatively over the last you know, few years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But one thing that God removed almost instantly, right after drugs and alcohol for me, was seeking validation from men and promiscuity. And I can say, like, in my early sobriety, first two, three months of my sobriety, I was behaving in ways that God was not cool with. But I wouldn't have been okay with it either. Just for the <laughs> I didn't know you then. So, you know, God was preparing you for me. And so, but that's what I had to find the end of me. Here's what happened when you remove the drink or the drug from people, they're going to use other vices uh, to try to feel better about themselves. For you, it was men. And for me, it was men. And, I, and the attention felt good, the validation felt good in the moment. And I, I just was in a, a rut, a habit of, and I didn't know how to not do it. Yeah. And, um, God really convicted me about it, and I, I, it's not like an audible necessary, but I just knew. So, I, okay, I was about almost— You know in your heart. I knew in my heart God wasn't cool with it, because when you work the steps, you're addressing every facet of your life, not just um, drugs and alcohol. Right. So I couldn't work the steps and ignore my sex conduct. It applied. I'm, I wrote inventory on it, right? Yeah. And so it was really interesting for me, because I was about two, three months sober— 
behaving badly, come back to my sober house, and I'm crying on the floor of my sober house bedroom, begging God to help me be any different. And I'm reading page seven. Because you're thinking like a lot of women, these actions, these behaviors that I'm I'm exhibiting are going to get me something more than a momentary validation from a guy. This is going to give me a relationship. It's going to make me feel better. And at this point, you're like, no, this I, ain't working. I knew it was just empty behavior at that point. It wasn't working. And I, here's what I also knew. God wasn't going to continue to keep me sober if I continued my sex conduct the way I had been. Mm. I was not going to be able to stay connected to God and behave sexually the way that I was. Yeah, I would lose my recovery. And, uh, and so God held me accountable to that at about three months sober. And I was reading page 70 in our literature. I was finally sorry for who I was and what I was doing. I wasn't just a victim of crappy dudes. It was on me. No one held a gun to my head and made me do any of that. I chose to do that. Little did you know God was preparing you for better. And so I went through a very cool three-month celibate journey with women friendships, journey with God, journey through spirituality. And I got very close to women and God in those next three months. And I've only dated, since then, I've only dated one other person besides you. And and it's really cool to show up and be your sane and sound sex ideal of the things that I value and want to seek. But what I had to learn, what God showed me, is that I had to be those things to attract these things and that I needed God's help to become those things. Mm. I couldn't just decide I want to be wife material. (laughs) I needed God's help to actually be wife material. I mean, I have a similar story, but mine was later. I'm I'm a later developer. Men usually are. So, I, I, I mean, I got sober. Um... I was taken through the 12 steps quickly, um, like our, our fellowship says, and um, and I started sponsoring by 90 days or so. And so the, the drink problem was removed for me fairly quickly, no worries. And I was very close to my fellowship, very involved, six, seven meetings a week, <clears throat> because I really loved these people. But what I was doing is I had let God remove the drug and alcohol problem, mm-hmm. but I held on to all my other behaviors. Yeah. So even though he removed the drugs and alcohol, You're like I got this over here, I continued to show up as the same husband, the same employee, the same friend. Um, I continued to rely on me mm-hmm. and not God. I was thinking about your road rage. You had horrible driving skills. Not uh, skill. I had skills. No, it was horrible. I had um, anger, and and it was cool to watch God completely remove that from you. But I mean, the thing is, is that what it took for me. So in that you got hit early. Yeah. With a situation, you got to hit with enough pain. What we've learned in sobriety is that... Pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth, man. It's, it's the motivator. Yeah, pain's a great motivator. And you got hit with it early. I was, Early in sobriety, and God's timeline's different with different people, right? And for you, you're almost five years sober. And for me, I was three months sober. But that God said, now it's time. Now I'm holding you accountable. I always use that analogy of like spiritual whack-a-mole. I, we whacked out drugs and alcohol. Now promiscuity pops up. Me right. and God got to figure out how to work spiritually to whack that down. And then something else is going to pop up. And- well, I was doing all of the stuff. I just wasn't <laughs> drinking and drugging. And, but I also had a deficit coming in in that I had these roadblocks to God set up. Yeah, because you're an atheist. I was completely atheist, so I had a real hard time believing. And I didn't. I wasn't an atheist at all coming in. Um, but I had a hard time wrapping my brain around the fact that even though I was saved and, and a believer, I wasn't connected to God. Otherwise, I wouldn't be drinking or behaving this way sexually or talking to my mom this way. Like, like those were revelations to me that mm-hmm. I wasn't connected to the God I believed in. Yeah. I, w- I was very arrogant and, and I was offended when people told, told when me that. When do you that. think that'll go away? Never. God okay. ain't removed it yet, hon. <laughs> So the thing is, is that I, I spent about two years trying to figure this God thing out, 18 months to two years. And and so I really believe my real recovery started at around the two-year mark because that was when 
I had removed those prejudice barricades mm-hmm. um, and began to say, okay, there's a God and I'm following him. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't a believer, but I did say, yes, there is a God. Okay, God, help me. But I still didn't understand how to not be self-reliant and to rely on God. And so therefore, my, my behaviors, I started to pick up some old behaviors before I had gotten sober. Mm-hmm. Infidelity. I had started to pick up some porn. Porn. Well, I don't know that I that that, that was that just never, always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so some of the things, food. Yeah. I wasn't drinking, but I was eating. That's a great example because once you stop drinking, you gained a ton of weight those first two I years. I put on a good 50, 60 pounds. And uh, which led you on a weight loss journey later once you finally were seeking some spiritual guidance, but it took you getting in enough pain for that. That's right. At two years sober, I. Um, I had a surgery and I had to change my whole because I'm a sur- vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. The, well, the, in the surgery that I have, um, you can grow everything back. Yeah. Like you can put it all back on. It's literally just a short term crutch. Um, and I had to change everything and I struggled with it until I started to rely on God. So, but I wanted to point out something about that because we've, and in the alcoholic drug addict world, we've seen a huge correlation between people who have had gastric bypass or sleeves or the weight loss surgeries and the alcoholism on one hand, it, yeah. on one hand, it'll be people that get the surgery and they can't eat the way they used to. So, so they now drink. they drink. Right. And for you, it was, you removed the drink. Well, all you got left is food. And right, so you were two years sober, uh, having to learn spiritual guidance around food. And see what you needed to do to change that. And so what I'm, what I'm, I guess probably slowly getting to, but what I want to get to is that at four and a half years sober, I was, I was sober in a program of spiritual principles, um, practicing infidelity. Yeah. Uh, with women in the rooms, and, mm-hmm. it, and it wasn't okay. And you were so close to drinking again, and you oh, didn't even know it, you know? I was. No, I knew it. Oh, you knew it? Oh, I knew it. I knew I was close to a drink, because you can't live in that amount of dishonesty and not right. be close I to a drink. I always tell people, you, you can't stay connected to God and have deceit or dishonesty in your heart. Those are not two things that go together, and so you're either going to pick your deceit and your dishonesty, or you're going to pick God and be honest. And so, so here's what happened. You know, you get sober and you have all these things you did in your past and you regret them. And then you realize that you can use those to help other people and you don't mm-hmm. regret them anymore. Right. It's like, okay, now these are, these are tools in my kit and I can help people with my past. Well, now I hit five years sober and I was broken and dead inside and I couldn't blame it on the alcohol. Yeah. And God still allowed me at that moment to get connected and use the, everything that I'd done in sobriety as tools to help others. And that's the beautiful part about it. Like, I want to speak, what what I think about when you speak to that is like all my mountain of legal issues and back child support. And I was like, I had uh, so much stuff going on that I thought there's no way I'm going to overcome it. And I'm sure you thought a similar thing as you're looking at the weight and the infidelity and how do no, I come back from this? No, it wasn't even about that. It was in that moment, that spiritual touchstone, the pain mm-hmm. that you're talking about that I went, I give up. Oh, yeah. I just gave up. Um, I was sitting in a cigar shop with a guy and we were talking about God and he said, oh, you're a believer. And I said, no, no. <laughs> and that man, I think, could figure out that I was um, an analytical guy. I'm mm-hmm. an analyzer. And he broke down the Christian belief for me in a way that I could hear it. Mm-hmm. And it started a journey for me. I don't think any of this was a mistake so the gift is, is that yet again, in sobriety, I burned my life to the ground. And I mean to the ground, ashes. Mm-hmm. But it caused a surrender. And because of that surrender, I was able to get the greatest gift I've ever had in my life mm-hmm. as of today. Right. 
And the greatest gift I have today is an amazing connection with God, an amazing uh, belief system, a set of principles that I live my life by. And it has, I don't know, dramatically changed everything. Yeah, you're very different in, in how you think, talk, act, live your life from when we first started dating. Yeah. Uh, and and it's really it's really a cool thing to watch because again the 12 step world is not about just not drinking. That, but that's why we went, right? That's why you you go. wanted to stop putting a needle in your arm. <laughs> I wanted to stop drinking, but it's like but oh my gosh. But you stay for a completely different walk of life. And so at first you work the steps and then you take the steps to others, but then you begin to live the steps and practice three and six and seven and and 10 through 12 on a daily basis. And Mm -hmm. it becomes a way of life. Absolutely. So when we come back, we're going to keep talking about the gifts of sobriety, the gifts we did not expect at all. Uh, So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather and Donnie Mosier, talking about the gifts of recovery. This, I get really almost emotional when we talk about some of this stuff, Mm because I want to quickly, I know that this is our last segment and you have some other stuff you want to add. I want people to know some things God's done for me as a result of being in a 12-step fellowship. And I remember when I got sober, I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have an ID to prove who I was besides a revoked and expired and oh, clipped Oh, and your Oklahoma. whole ID system was messed okay. up. Okay. I had been married two other times. I didn't have a clue what last name I had on Social Security. <laughs> like, I had no medical records. I you had, were a mess. It, it was a mess. And I remember my sponsor telling me, and when I moved in with you, I was 18 months sober, and she's like, cool, I'm going to give you two weeks to get a job. And I'm like, what? She's like, you got to pay your financial amends yourself. Donnie can't pay them. I'm going to give you two. And I thought that this was crazy because how can I get a job? I don't have a driver's license. I don't have an ID. You know, here's what God has done. I, I had about 30000 in back child support, plus child support I wasn't paying already. And so I knew that I needed to begin chipping away at my legal issues. And me and God kind of made this accountability list. And so I got the ID stuff sorted out, took weeks of this and that. Oh, Lord, it took And weeks. then there was a place right around our corner from our house that let me do my community service. I had 100 hours of community a service. A resale shop. Yeah. A little, little thrift store. And I finished my community service through there, and I had such a good work ethic. They offered me a job, <laughs> yeah. right? And I could Uber one minute from our house, and I began paying child support. Okay, while I'm finishing up that seasonal job, February is coming, I get a call one day, not from one, not from two, but from three different sponsees who didn't know each other telling me about a recovery coach job at an adolescent organization, an APG here in Houston, that they thought I'd be great for. Well, they had already told the guy that worked there about me, and he had already emailed me wanting my recovery resume. Boom, got a job. And I was there for two years. You didn't look for it. Didn't look for it. It was handed to you. And then what happened two years after that is same thing. Phone call, the thin blue air, and I get offered this job at Matthew's Help. Right? And it it blows me away because God has enabled me to finish the legal issues, to get off the five years on paper that I was on, to pay almost all of my back child support up. I think we owe like eight-ish left. I owe eight-ish left. I pay child support monthly. My legal issues are done. I'm not on probation or pay for anything. Like, and I'm only five and a half years sober. 
And it's so... You're a month from six. A month from six, yes. You're but, almost six. But here's what's crazy. I didn't even start tapping into looking at my legal issues until I was a year to 18 months sober. Yeah. And so I missed out some... And I remember my sponsor saying, hey, because I was like, what am I going to do? Get a job? She's like, yeah. She's like, sorry, you're behind the boat. If God had held you accountable a year and a half ago, you wouldn't be where you are now. Yeah. You're late in the game, she said. And I was like, well, crap. Um, but looking at that, looking at what God has done for me and where he's positioned me, and God has enabled me to chip away at that mountain. Because if I had tried to get out of it and been deceitful or lied or found the loophole that I wasn't guilty or I didn't owe it, I don't think God would have blessed me. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, when I, when I had burnt my life down to the ground in sobriety— uh, and it left me broken. What I had realized by working the steps again, and by the way, I didn't work the steps on alcohol and drugs because alcohol and drugs were not the problem. They were never the problem. Selfishness was, and self-centeredness has always been the root of our problem. It's been me and my behavior. That's right. And when we worked the steps on that and we went through it, I started to get a full view of who I really was. Yeah. How self-reliant, selfish, self-centered I had self, been self, in self. sobriety, right? Um, so I'm on the Christian journey and walk. I'm on the clean up the behavior walk. And and some of the things that began to happen, and and much to my surprise, is within a year after the infidelity and all of that, I had probably helped nine different men who came to me. Yeah. yeah. I was able to help them with my experience. Yeah. And and how we found each other. Listen, we talk a lot about God speaking to us and God in our lives. If you're having trouble with that. I dare you to try it. Yeah. I dare you. Yeah. I didn't believe any of this. I thought anybody who talked about God speaking to them was just... And you just, don't need to be a drug or alcoholic to try this, too. I thought they were wackadoodle. I was just having a conversation with Melanie. Now, we don't hear audible, right? You right, don't right, hear, right, right, right. Because if you hear God's voice in your head... Hey, you might need a different kind of treatment center. Yeah. However, <laughs> but I was just talking to Melanie because we're, we're recovery coaches over at Matthew's Hope, and, and there's a client that's really struggling with that idea, but she's a believer. Yeah, But she's in early recovery and she hasn't worked the steps and she's not hearing God and this and that. And I always make this suggestion. I encourage any of our listeners to do this. Make a list of actions you can do for God, whatever God it is that you get down with. What if you don't believe in him? <laughs> actions you can do that are positive energy in the universe. Oh, okay. Okay, whatever. All right, fair um, enough. And so... But this is particularly for believers that think they're connected to God and they're, you know, they're, they're searching and not hearing God and I don't yeah. feel him. It's the whole, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel him, right? And so I was taught to do that in early recovery of make a list of actions I can do for God. And it's like anything, anything that you can do that puts positive or good energy into the universe. In other words, when I make my bed in the morning, I'm doing it and I'm telling God audibly, I'm doing this for you. When I do the dishes at night before I go to bed, I'm literally doing them for God. And in the beginning, you don't believe it. You're just doing you it because they told it. you you're to. Just doing right? it. But you'd be surprised how many people can't even come up with a list because they don't understand that you're not doing it for yourself. That fake you're it till you doing make it. it for a spiritual benefit. It's, right. it's all about the surrender. It's right. about the giving up. It's the fight that's the problem. Because my whole life, I've been doing whatever I needed to do, stepping on whatever toes I needed to get what mm -hmm. I needed. And now it's like, wait, I'm going to rely on this Some, spirit of the universe? The beauty of recovery <clears throat> is the surrender. Yeah. For chronics that keep fighting and fighting and fighting addiction, you're going to keep drinking and drinking and drinking. Yeah. So five years sober, I had been struggling with the weight a little bit, right? I had dropped a ton of weight. Yeah, that's what attracted me. Yeah, when we got married, we got fluffy to together me. again. Yeah, but you know what? The more I rely on God... it. The weight is, I don't even think about it. It goes away. So some of the things that 
the God that I didn't believe in when I got sober, that I 150% believe in today, when I grow closer, um, the things that have been removed for me, like they're not a problem, is I don't struggle with food anymore. I don't struggle with porn. I'm coming up on a year of no porn, mm-hmm. and, and I don't have a desire for it. And you were eight years sober before God put his thumb on you and said, now we're dealing with the porn. What That's I'm, right. I'm just saying, it's, timeline's different for everybody. You right. don't These things don't just all go away right when you get sober. Y- you talked about my driving. I've been driving like a maniac <laughs> since they stupidly gave me a license. Yep. And last April, you and I were going fishing, and I just had this feeling in my chest, this download of information on what my driving might be doing to those around me, and I haven't even struggled. In fact, on 290 here in Houston, okay, it's a maniac's raceway, and I have to go about five over so that I'm not killed, Yeah, and I feel guilty doing that. I have no desire for speed. But God's removed it and changed it. You know what I'm saying? And like with me, my whole life before 12-step recovery, didn't matter if I was on drugs or drinking or not, because most of my years were not. I was sober, but I was miserable. I was miserable. I was plagued with anxiety and depression. I've been on every antidepressant mood stabilizer and all that under the sun with psychiatrists and counselors. I believed I live in fibromyalgia. I believed I lived in chronic pain. I had a doctor do a back surgery I didn't need. This was all... I feel sorry for your two ex-husbands. What I'm saying is... God's removed the anxiety. God's removed the depression. God's removed the chronic pain. It's it's such a cool miracle that when I became spiritually fit, my mind and body have followed, and I haven't taken anything in five, almost six years. Two top gifts. My top gifts? Your two top. Besides my sobriety? Yep. I love that I don't have anxiety and depression. I, I hated life. Okay. I hated you, and I hated me. Yep. And so I'm really glad about my emotional state, and I'm really glad about the connections of relationships I have. I have a wonderful connection with you, my husband. We have amazing friends in the fellowship that we could call any time of the day or night. They'd be there. My parents are proud of me. My kids still love me and talk to me. That was more than two. I'm just saying. God can do a lot. It really needs more than an hour to go through them. I think my top two, honestly, are purpose. Um, I never had purpose prior to sobriety ever, and little did I know that my purpose would be um, anti-selfish and helping <laughs> others. Like that's the path on. And I'm I would on. say that. And the number one for me is that, is God. Yeah. This connection to God, this connection, being a believer today, and it's the number one thing in my life. Sure. And never did I see it coming. Right. And that's the paradox of it. You come in hoping to get sober, hoping to stay sober. And you get so much more out of a 12-step way of life that anyone could benefit from it, which is why there's more than 300 different 12-step fellowships. So if you would like any information, please give us a call at 844-263-4673. And don't forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. And how cool is it today to be okay in our own skin? Hashtag Hashtag God, God, though. though.